Hello, hello. Uh, this is MEC, and you're listening to the Wellbeing Podcast. Um, I'm experimenting today with a video format. So if you're watching this on Spotify, you're seeing a video. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, I have the video version linked in the description box via YouTube. Um, and if you're listening anywhere else, thank you. Regardless, I appreciate you. Um, today we're going to talk about imposter syndrome. Because it is a pain in my tuchus, in my behind, and everyone's behind, frankly, I can't stand it. Um, like when we're just hyper aware of where we are and thinking that we can't do something or that we don't deserve to be somewhere. I'm good at that. I'm like, I'm like really good at that. Um, and I think a lot of people are because we talk about it and it has a freaking name the name being imposter syndrome. And so, yeah, I've been feeling it a lot this week. I've been on my inpatient medicine rotation. um, And there's just a lot I don't know. And when I don't know something, I don't know how to answer something for a patient or for another, um, for a doctor, I just feel dumb. And you know what? When you don't know something and you feel like you should know it, that's when the imposter syndrome likes to get real obnoxious. And so that's that's what made me think about it this week. And yeah. So question, like I mentioned just now, when do we feel imposter syndrome? Well, I think I feel it when I feel like someone's judging me, like when I perceive that someone's judging me. For instance, if someone asks me a question and I can't answer it, my internal dialogue goes, huh, I don't know the answer to this question. Or maybe I actually even do know the answer to the question. I just panic because I wasn't expecting them to ask me. Then I go to stage two, panic. Okay, and you're just like, ah, oh, um. And even if you do know the answer, you're not about to be able to say it because you're panicking too much, trying to figure out, oh, I wasn't expecting this. I got to figure out what the, what the answer is. And even if I know what the answer is, I can't tell you because I'm too busy like freaking out. And then stage three is, internal judgment of yourself being like, well, if I can't answer this question, should I know the answer to this question? And if I don't, and I should, then am I supposed to even be here? Do I belong here if I don't know the answer to these things? And that's when, like, that's the process. It's step one, step two, step three. And that's when I feel it, okay? Um, And it's often in places where you are probably being tested on your ability to do something. So work or school, Uh, when you're trying something new, um, or when you're being compared to someone else. I hate that. Hate it. I do it to myself a lot, if I'm being honest. Um, But I think when we compare ourselves to others, and like their skill set versus our skill set, and let's say, I mean, there's no way that two people's skill set is going to be exactly the same. Like, it just doesn't work that way. And so you see someone else who's better at something that you're not good at, and someone's like, wow, you know, this person's so good at this, and then like looks at you and is like, you're not as good at it. That's a great way to feel like garbage, my friend. And so that's when I feel, that's when I feel imposter syndrome. And you know, what exactly is the feeling of imposter syndrome? I, I describe it as like insecurity, um, like about my ability to do something or complete a task or communicate something effectively that makes me not look like I'm an idiot and makes me feel like I'm competent at this. I can do this. Um, and what it looks like when it manifests for me is like, I'll start from standing 
in a way that I would consider to be confident. So like shoulders back and head up. I'll start to shrink into myself and I curve my back and like kind of try to hide and like compact myself as much as possible because I don't want to be perceived while I don't know the answer to this question or while I feel like I shouldn't be here. It makes you shrink yourself like physically, but also you second guess your decisions. You're, you're like, I, I can't make these decisions. I'm not qualified to do this. I don't feel like I should be here. So then every decision you make feels like self-sabotage. And so you think maybe I shouldn't trust what I think I should do. And so then you start to become perfectionistic with your work. And sometimes you don't work as efficiently because of that, because you're too busy double checking all of your decisions because you don't trust yourself. And you start negative talk, like you have this, and this all stems from negative self-talk, right? I think that there's imposter syndrome that can come from getting feedback as well. When someone says, hey, you know, you could really work on this. And what, (laughs) it's so funny because what I'm supposed to hear is, hi, I'm invested in you getting better at whatever this task or job is. Right now, there is room for improvement. Here, I'm telling you how you can improve right now. That's what I'm telling you. And what we hear is, this person thinks I'm an idiot and I cannot do this job and I I might get fired or I suck at this. But really this person would not be giving you feedback unless they were they wanted you to get better. If that makes sense. So it's really the way we perceive feedback often. But let's not even lie, there are some people who are just not great at communicating and maybe it's their tone, maybe it's their lack of emotions when they're telling you this. We can perceive things from some people and the way they deliver feedback that makes us feel really incompetent and stupid and feel like our imposter syndrome is just massive. And that should be acknowledged too, because while often much of imposter syndrome is in our head, sometimes it can also result very heavily from interacting with people who are not the best at communicating. And the way we perceive that communication is, I think you are not good enough at this job task thing. And that should be acknowledged too. I think also there's a way that imposter syndrome manifests in the fact that we wish we were like other people, but like in a non-inspirational way. I think that there's a space to be inspired by someone and not get imposter syndrome 100%. But when we compare ourselves and think I should be where they are right now, That's less inspiration and more imposter syndrome to me. That's the flavor. The flavor is different and that's what, that's what changes it. And so once again, what is imposter syndrome? To me, I've defined it and I'm looking at my laptop. So like if I'm looking down in the video, that's why. It is as feeling like a fraud because people believe in us when we don't. Why? Because we don't think we deserve their praise and our own lack of self-confidence prevents us from accepting the support of others. I'm not going to drop my actual microphone, but just like imagine me, (laughs) imagine me dropping a mic. That's kind of crazy. Um, I, I wrote that definition at like 1am. I'd be dropping gems at 1am. Um, yeah, like when when we feel like a fraud, I think that's a really big part of imposter syndrome. It's like, I, I am here. 
I feel like I should be somewhere beyond that point. But yet I'm here. And I should be here. Should be is like the big thing. I perceive myself as I should be further along than I am. And I don't think I am right now. And so I, as a result, I feel fraudulent for being here as this incomplete or not per- perfect version of myself in this space. And that's when you start to feel like garbage and start to compare yourself and blah, blah, blah. It makes you feel bad. There are some people who are actually so good at their jobs. There's a lot of people who are very good at their jobs. And they they don't think they are. They think They feel like they should not be there because they're so used to having to doubt themselves, to push themselves to get to where they're at, that... They don't believe that they've achieved it. They don't feel like they've gotten there. And therefore, they're always striving for this, I mean, it's impossible to accomplish goal of being perfect in the role, which no one is. And so then when people do give you praise or do give you feedback, you don't take the praise seriously and you take the feedback as really negative signs that you have to keep pushing yourself even harder or that you're like not supposed to be there, or that you're just not meeting the o- your own crazy high standards for yourself. And so I think it comes from a lot of places for people. For me, okay, let's let's phrase this. I'm afraid of being arrogant. I don't. I do not want to be perceived as arrogant, or uh, prideful, or like a know-it-all. And there's so we know. I can, ima- I can imagine right now of somebody who you've interacted with who thinks they're all that in a bag of chips and maybe some fries and, and they think that they're so cool or so good at this job and they come across as a pain in your butt because they're arrogant and they're rude and that is what you do not want to be. And so you, when we're like growing up and when we're in our first workplace spaces, you see that and think, I don't want to be that person. No one likes this person. Maybe they're good at their job, but no one likes them. So therefore, what's the opposite of that? Doubting ourselves. Rather than be arrogant, I should just always assume that I'm not the best at my job because then I won't be that person. And that happens a lot. For instance, when I grew up... um, I really like singing. I know I'm not bad at singing. Um, and that's like a skill that I have. And I remember when I was younger and people would be like, oh, Mackenzie, can you sing for this? I'd be like, no, I can't. I'm actually, I'm not good. And it wasn't so much that I thought I wasn't good. Like I knew I could sing. It was that I was afraid that if I acknowledged the fact that I could sing well, that I would be perceived as being full of myself. And so I just always would negate people's praise in that space. I was like, I'm not good at it. I'm not good. Uh, I can't, you know, I can't do that. Even if you know you're good at it because it's considered humble. Like that is, that is, it's, you know, you have to say, oh no, I'm not that good at this. People do that all the time, even though they know they're good at it. And like, that brings me to my second point of like, where does imposter syndrome come from? We are obsessed with being humble. Like the concept that we can be good at something and not acknowledge it because we're just, you know, so 
morally not into ourselves. We're afraid of being arrogant. And so then, you know, we are, we want to be perceived as humble. So you tell yourself that you're not good at things. And you, even when you know you're good at things, you will tell yourself you're bad at them or that you're mediocre at them. And at a certain point, some people start to believe that. I was that. I was like, oh, I did pretty well in school. But I remember I always thought I'm not that smart, not compared to all these people. I'm not that smart. Um, and I started to believe that, which is actually so disturbing. You, you will start to believe it eventually for some people who are, um, some people will start to believe that. And I, I did that. Um, and I, I think part of that obsession with being humble comes from our perception that people who are in successful roles do it with ease and grace. Like if I'm doing this role, then oh, it's, it's gotta be so easy for me. Um, like we love seeing people in, in positions where it just seems like, oh man, they can just do it without thinking. It's so easy for them to do that. And we consider that successful. If you have to struggle, I think people love like an underdog story, but in general people want, when they see someone who's successful, they think of them as like, oh, they're so graceful and effortful. And even if they work really hard, they do it in a way that comes across as it's nonchalant, it's casual, they, they're used to this. And so if you are struggling to get better at a particular aspect of your job or you're learning a new skill and it's not coming gracefully to you, we're saying that's not success because I've equated success with someone who is doing it easily. And so since I'm not doing that, I'm not successful, which is so not true. You can be successful and, and struggle and fail and do, you know, do hard things and acknowledge that you are not great in certain areas. And we like those stories in, in a sense that we like hearing about them in movies and in books and as people we aspire to be, but when it's us, we don't like that. It should be easy for me. If I'm in this role, it should be easy for me. I shouldn't have to struggle while I'm in this role. And if I am, it means I'm not being successful. I'm not doing my job well. We love the aspiration of the underdog, the working hard, the struggle, but we don't, in real life, when it's applied to us, we think, no, I have to do it with grace and ease, otherwise I'm not successful. And that's how I... I think that's why we're so obsessed with the humbleness and the like, doing it with ease type thing. And also, when we're growing up, many of us are kind of taught not to try something unless you can do it perfectly. And often, we are rewarded if you can do it perfectly the first time. What do I mean by that? Let's say you see a kid who's learning how to ice skate and they get on the ice and they don't fall and they're gliding along and this is their first time on the ice and they're like oh my gosh she's a natural people saying things like you picked up on that so quickly that's really good then we have decided in our head that if it takes you a long time to get better at something or you're not great at it when you first started that you're just not as good as other people because we encourage people. We're saying, oh, that kid's a natural born leader. What does that, what does that like reinforce? It, these compliments are reinforcing the fact that instant perfection is a valuable attribute. 
And if you don't fit into that uh, definition of success, then you're not successful. You, it doesn't, it doesn't equate. And it's, oh, it's so hard. I remember thinking that, like, I remember thinking if I try something and I do well at it the first time, that I'm better than other people. What a horrible thing to teach children. I'm just saying that's not a great thing to teach kids because for most people, you will have to try and get better at something. And it just really teaches you to quit and give up if you're not really good at something at the first time. And it really doesn't reinforce a growth mindset, which is so, so helpful. And it's something many of us don't have. And I'm still working on that. Like when I try something new, I still think, oh man, I was really bad at that. I don't want to do it again. I don't want to do it again because it felt bad that I did, I couldn't get it the first time. And I'm seeing other people who have done this for years and I can't do it the first time. So therefore I'm not good enough and I don't want to do it again. And that's such a shutdown mentality. And we are so trained to do that. Um, and I think a lot of it happens in schools when people are answering questions in school and you get tests and the way that we teach kids how to learn especially children who are from marginalized backgrounds. Um, often if you are identify as a woman or a, like a gender identity that's not considered the majority, or if you have a learning disability or you have, you're neurodivergent, all of these things make you more aware of your presence in like majority spaces, which already makes you paranoid, already makes you hyper aware of the way that you're being perceived by other people, right? Now, let's add in the fact that we are obsessed with this concept of doing well and that we should be good the first time. And if I don't know the answer to something, I'm going to be quiet. I'm not going to answer the question because I don't want to look stupid. One, because you feel like you're representing your entire minority space. And then two, because we've decided that if we can't answer, we don't know 100%, I would rather not fail. I'd rather not fail, so I just won't try. That is something we're so into, and I still struggle with this. You become so afraid to answer questions unless you know you're right, and we don't take risks unless we feel safe. And for me, feeling safe is knowing the answer. Like, even if I have, let's say, I am 75% sure that I know the answer to a question. I won't answer it. It's got to be like 90% chance I know the answer for me to raise my hand and go after it and say like, yeah, I know what it is. Because the feeling of not knowing and answering it wrong in a public forum, and then people will snicker or like laugh or say like, oh, that was so easy. How did you not know that? And oh, they were so confident when they answered the question, but it was wrong. That, all that, the way that it feels when you answer it wrong, make, made me personally be like, oh man, answering questions when I don't know the answer is an unsafe space, so I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to take that risk, which is horrible because it's something I'm actively having to learn how to undo because in, in medical school right now, like I have, to, I have to answer questions I don't know the answer to. I have to try because otherwise I won't learn. And... It's such a horrible thing that I learned so early that I'm trying to undo. And, you know, it happens even in professional spaces, like when you don't have to answer questions like that anymore. Um, Like, let's talk about opportunities, like if for jobs or for promotions or 
um, cool, cool opportunities that we want to apply to. You don't apply for things because you don't think you deserve them. Oh, they'll never consider me. I won't even apply. Why don't you just apply? Just do it. Because you feel unfit to you know, occupy certain spaces and then you don't go after certain opportunities and you'll never get them if you don't try. And that's so hard to teach somebody. And um, I think it was in 2020, I was making Pinterest content and I was like, hmm, they're having this Pinterest fund um, for like... BIPOC individuals who make content on Pinterest in in spaces that are not traditionally occupied by BIPOC people. And that's me. I was like, I'm making mental health content and there's not a lot of people who do that who are black. And I, I would really love to apply to this. And I almost didn't apply. I almost didn't apply for this creator fund. And then my significant other convinced me to do it anyway. And I wrote, I wrote that application on the couch in like half an hour and submitted it on the last day. And then I get a call, like maybe two months later, that I won $10,000 to continue making content. Can you imagine if I just let myself get talked into not applying? That's, that's, that's insane. Like, and I was so close to not doing it and someone had to you know, tell me like, I believe in you, why don't you try? I believe in you. Why don't you try? Um, and yeah, I just think that that's crazy that I almost didn't get an opportunity because I was considering myself as an imposter. And so now I just apply for things even if I don't feel like I deserve them because what's the worst that can happen? The answer is no. The answer would be no if I wasn't qualified. And there was something that um, my my significant other told me when I was saying, I don't know why I keep getting these opportunities. I don't feel like I deserve them. And sometimes I get nervous and anxious because I feel like I can't fulfill, I can't fulfill what they want because I I don't think I can keep doing this on a routine basis. The last time I did it was just a fluke. I got lucky last time. And what he said to me was, if you keep getting these opportunities, if people keep asking you to do these things, is it just luck? Or are you really just that freaking good at what you do? And I literally had him write it on a post-it note and stick it up on my wall because it, it was such a good reminder. <laughs> it's like my favorite uh, quote at the moment. And so I just think, are you really not qualified if people keep asking you to do things and you keep finding yourself in opportunities that you don't think you, you deserve? Or are you really just that freaking good and you're just being really too humble about it? It's a, it's a good question. Um, and so, and I've mentioned that it gets harder for people who are of minority backgrounds um, who feel extra unwelcome, okay, to begin with um, in other spaces. And then it becomes harder to feel like you deserve to be there than add on, you know, um, the experience of imposter syndrome for people who are neurodivergent, people who are people of color, have different gender identities, um, who are disabled. Anyone who thinks that they uh, are like outside of the mold or like breaks the mold of what should be in the space they're in. It's much harder to, to, to not have imposter syndrome. And I have to think about the fact that there are tons of people in roles right now who are not qualified, underqualified for their job. 
and they manage to excel anyway. There are people who frankly applied to something and by all people's standards did not technically deserve it. And they're doing just fine in those roles because they believe they can do it and they learn how to do it and then they excel. And so I think literally half the battle is just believing in yourself because there's also people who are overqualified for their roles who are don't get promotions because they trained other people to devalue them by talking badly about themselves. Oh, I actually, I really struggled with that last project. No, no, I'm, I'm not even that good. Well, it was really good. It was a good project. No, 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 it was terrible, right? So you tell them that. And so you're training other people to devalue you. And so people who are overqualified are not getting promotions or are not getting the accolades they deserve because they're training other people to look at them as if they're not good. And that's crazy. And so that's why I'm like, imposter syndrome is just a really, it's a doozy. It's, it's just a crazy space to be in. And how do you fix it? I mean, you, you can't, not, not immediately. You have to learn to give yourself perspective and reframe failure or struggling and difficulty. If I frame difficulty and struggling and failure as I can't ever do this job, I do not deserve to be here, then I'm going to think that for the rest of my life because everyone's going to fail, everyone's going to struggle with things, and everyone's going to face difficulty. It's a, it's a matter of how I perceive them. And, and this whole concept of faking it till you make it, I don't think that that's the full story. You are faking it until you realize that you've been doing it for quite a while and you're not faking it anymore. And perhaps you never were faking it. You just didn't think you could do it. That's how I feel. Because if you got to that point... Someone believed in you, otherwise you wouldn't be there. Someone believed in you, and maybe it wasn't yourself. But maybe it should be. Maybe it should be. So as I finish out the, this episode, I think the number one thing I'm thinking is just we have to get into the habit of not gaslighting ourselves or at the very least, if we are acknowledging that we have self-talk, not believing it or trying to speak back at it. If I automatically think I just looked really stupid, I can also have a conversation with that part of myself that automatically said that and say, hmm, it felt like I was stupid there, but I'm actually pretty smart and I struggled with that and I'm not stupid. I think learning to reason with your negative self-talk is easier and more approachable than just getting rid of negative self altogether. It is really hard to just automatically stop talking down to yourself because we're really good at that and we're trained to do it and our brains just automatically want to judge us. So rather than just being like, oh, I I just can't ever negative self-talk again, which will ultimately be very difficult to do, when you do it, you should just converse with that side of you. Is that true? Or is that just me being self-conscious? Am I being too harsh on myself right here? And I think it's really important to have this dialogue with your negative self-talk because then it becomes so much less powerful or influential on your life. 
I still have negative self-talks all the time. I tell myself I'm an idiot like half, <laughs> like a lot, but I don't let the conversation end there. I'll be like, I'm an idiot. Mm, no, you're not an idiot, but that did not feel comfortable because you're not used to doing it. And so this is a learning space. And so even though it feels cheesy and bad, I'm not an idiot, I'm just learning how to do it. I literally do that. I will have a whole conversation in my head. It's maybe that's considered pathologic. It's not, it's not. And that's what I do. And so I think you can acknowledge the task is difficult and complete it well. And know that those two things are not separate and are not contradictory. You can do them both at the same time. Also, perceiving something as difficult is not a sign that you're incompetent. It's a sign that you're growing. Okay, there's things that you used to do when you were younger that were impossible, and now you can do them pretty easily. That's just like how you were able to get to this point from being a three-year-old. You have learned to do things that were once really difficult. And so I will leave you with three things that I tell myself when my imposter syndrome is acting up. Number one, this feels difficult right now but I am capable of doing this. And if I say it and it feels cheesy, I acknowledge that it's cheesy. I'm not about to like lie to myself. We're not in the gaslighting ourselves space. If I thought it was cheesy, it's cheesy. I can think this is gonna sound cheesy and I know this feels difficult right now, but I'm capable of doing this. My second one is I am supposed to be here. It may not feel like it right now, but I am supposed to be here right now. And the third one is, if this one's particularly helpful for if you have no idea what you're gonna do or you're like panicking over a decision that you have, you tell yourself, I may not know what I'm gonna do right now, but I will figure this out. I will figure this out. Because guess what? You have figured out everything <laughs> up until this point. You've managed to, to maneuver and navigate through your entire life up to this point, even when you thought you couldn't in the past. And so therefore, you can figure this out too. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's how I feel um, about imposter syndrome. And I think it is, I could talk about it for days, to be honest. So... I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you watch the video version of this, I hope you let me know if you like it or if you want something different. Um, I'm so open to whatever you would like. And also, I want to let you know that there is a Geneva community that I created for this podcast where uh, you can interact with me and other people who've listened to the podcast, and it's basically just a big group chat with different channels for for things that we'd like to talk about. So I hope you join. The um, link to that is in the description. It's just you log onto the app and then you're in the group chat and party. So <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope you have a good rest of your day, whatever time it is. And if it's not that great, I hope tomorrow is better. All right, I will talk to you later. Bye.